In February of 1985, the Orlando Sentinel contacted a number of professionals, including criminologists and sociologists and psychiatrists, to get their take on what type of person police should be looking for in this case. What kind of person does this sort of thing, you know? Leaves a bomb outside of a convenience store in a small town? Everyone agreed that the bomber was likely a male because, generally speaking, men are more prone, statistically, to committing violent acts than women. And, statistically, those with knowledge of bomb-making tended to be males. Dr. Fred Pasetsky, who was the assistant director of the psychiatric unit of a state hospital in southern Michigan, said, He's very likely a person of low self-esteem, very easily hurt, who resorts to violence to get back at people. Dr. Michael Gutman, a Winter Park psychiatrist with 21 years' experience in the field, said, I'd say he's a loner, a paranoid misanthrope who hates people, a very angry, bitter, mean person. A sociology professor at the University of Florida suggested that this person probably feels the world is against him and likely has few, if any, real friends. Pasetsky warned that despite his anger, the bomber could be viewed from the outside as a nice person. He believed the man was probably more methodical rather than compulsive and not likely to fly into a rage. The very act of acquiring all the bomb components, then building it and deciding where to target all point to someone, according to him, who was prone to a very systematic approach rather than someone who was rash. I thought Dr. Gutman uttered the most chilling assessment when he said, isolation is the worst type of counselor. These professionals did all seem to circle around the loner theory. Someone would need privacy to build and plan something like this. Because the $17,500 reward for information about the perpetrator of this crime remained unclaimed, law enforcement also bought into the loner theory, believing that if there were any co-conspirators, that amount of money in an area as economically depressed as Lockhart would likely bring people with specific information out of the shadows. Many of the professionals also concurred that the suspect probably did live in that area. They believed that the shop-and-go wasn't chosen randomly. It wasn't a high-traffic area that affected a large segment of the population. This wasn't a bus terminal or a tourist attraction, somewhere that a bomber could expect to injure a large number of people. But that's where the general consensus ended. When journalists started asking about motives, they got everything from it being religiously motivated, given that it was on Christmas, to terrorism gone awry. Some speculated it was a drug crime or a hit gone wrong. Others thought it was just a random act of violence, and some mentioned it possibly being revenge against the store owner, or the clerks, or the store chain itself, or even the air compressor company. Law enforcement said they simply had no information to lead them in any direction, other than they did not believe the bomb was intended for Paul Jewell. Police had very little to work with, other than the remnants of the bomb itself and witnesses. So putting together a timeline and following up on people and vehicles that were seen at the shop and go that day was important. I was able to put together a short timeline based on the documents that I received from the police and the people that I spoke with. Between 12 noon and 1 p.m., a woman named Linda Forsberg was at the store, but she didn't see anything at the pump. A man named David Beeler used the air pump around 12.30 and then when he was done, handed it off to another guy in his 20s before he drove off in his 1957 Grand White Ford Fairlane. There was still no package at the pump at this time. Around the same time, a man named 
Alan Montez de Oca was gonna put air in his tires, but he saw Beeler at the pump in his Ford Fairlane and then another guy waiting in line, so he passed and he thought he'd come back later. Around 12.45 or 1 o'clock, a man named Glenn Watson, driving his 1940 white Chevy pickup, used the machine and he didn't see anything either. And then it appears that sometime between 1.30 and 3, he's not sure, Mr. Montez de Oca returned to use the machine that had been in use when he drove by the first time. At around 1.30 or 2, another witness stopped and said that the store was crowded around that time and they saw a bronze Plymouth Horizon parked at the air pump with its lights facing the store and possibly a white truck at the gas pumps. That might have been Mr. Watson driving his 1940 white Chevy pickup because he said it was between 12.45 and 1. Around 2 p.m., Ted Quisenberry was in the area and he said he didn't notice a package either. Same with Tony Cantrell. I actually tracked down Mr. Cantrell. He couldn't remember much. So you worked at the Shop and Go at the time as a clerk, is that right? Yeah. And, but you didn't work on the day that the explosion occurred? No. Did you go up to the store at any time that day? Um, I went up there because uh, I was the assistant manager of the store. Uh-huh. I went up there and that's when I heard about what happened. As far as being there at the time, I wasn't there. So you had heard um, about it. When you went up there, it had already happened? Yeah. And it was later in the day? But you hadn't been up there prior to that, you're saying? No. Um, were you aware of any problems going on at the time at the store with any of the employees or any reason why anyone might have, let's say if the bomb was placed, um, to target anyone at the store? Now, the next witness is important because she also participated in a sketch. Diane Turner was driving a 1978 Maroon Granada, and she said that she was there around 2.15 or 2.30, but she saw nothing at the pump. This time period would put her there right around the time that the bomb was placed, and she did participate in helping to draw a sketch of a vehicle that she saw in the area at the time. And the next two are important as well. Somewhere around 2 o'clock, Marvin Leninger and his son stopped at the air pump. They're the ones that saw the package, thought it was some kind of hoax, and they left. When they came back by about 45 minutes later, they saw all the emergency vehicles. That means that by sometime around 2 o'clock, the package was there. But again, Diane Turner saw nothing until 2.15 or 2.30, she said. So it's possible that she was there a bit earlier and the man and his son were there a bit later. According to his statement, Larry Gosnell thought he was there around 1.45, but I suspect that there's a possibility he was there a little bit later. And when you hear his story, you'll understand why. Hi, I'm Larry Gosnell, and I was about 19 years old. Me and my ex, we were going uh, to, uh, it was Christmas Day, and we were going over some relatives uh, just right down the road, and we were actually... uh, we borrowed my mother's uh, Dodge van, and it was nipply that day. It was kind of cold, so as we were cruising down the road on Edgewater Drive, just back then they had a four-way stop sign. It wasn't inter- it wasn't a traffic signal light, so it was a four-way stop sign. Right. Come, we were leaving east, headed west, and you know we're probably a couple cars behind at the four-way. And as people are moving up and going through the intersection, you know I was looking around. And I, uh, I seen this fella coiling up a hose on the air pump that was right there at the corner part of the store uh, to my left as I was coming up to the stop 
but I thought to myself, nobody ever calls that up real nice, you know? Right, yeah. It kind of looked odd to me, you know, I mean, just to that aspect. And then he walked across the street uh, to a, a car that's parked across the street from the store. It was a blue uh, Falcon, a baby blue Falcon. And I thought, well, that was a nice-looking vehicle. I wonder why he parked over there, so... As we're moving up again, I, I, I realize these two little boys uh, pulled up to the air pump with their bicycles. Uh, a little uh, uh, African-American kid, he, mm-hmm. and he started walking up to the store, and the other uh, young went over towards the air pump, and I watched him. As I went through the four-way stop sign, I watched him approach, basically, out of the peripheral by then uh, of my eye, mm-hmm. I could see the kid, you know, going up to the pump as I went on through, to, you know, with my own business. Mm-hmm. And about one Mississippi, two Mississippi, we heard a boom. Oh, and I turned to my ex, you know, at the time, my wife, and uh, I said, did you, I said, was that a tire? You know? mm-hmm. So we looked at, she looked out the mirror, you know, we looked at kind of looked, see whether the t- truck wasn't, limping or anything so we just kind of kept going went did our business went had our little christmas party and uh on the way back we had passed through and it was devastated it was like a, a mess because a helicopter landed there just scattered all the debris so it was like, what the heck happened here you know right <laughs> it just happened right behind us i mean we were, we're talking two seconds and we would have been in the blast itself so you were at that four-way stop where in the what on which of the four were you at? Were you on Rose or were you on Beggs at the time? I was on Edgewater, and I was headed towards well, I guess it turns into Beggs, crossing over Rose Avenue. And that the little store was to my left. I was east, headed west. Okay, so the store was on your left. That's right. correct. Right. It was on the far corner, not you know. You got the elementary school in one corner, and then you got the store on the on the left. Right. Right. Okay. So when you tell me, go back to the man that you saw. So what what you caught out of your eye as you got there and when you were seeing him, were you at that intersection at the time or were you pulling into that intersection when you saw the man? You know how the traffic's, everybody's moving. They're moving along pretty good. It wasn't a lot of traffic at all. I mean, you know, just a couple cars here and there. But um, it gave me time to be able to see this guy. And as the other cars turned, he he just like he just it was either he set it there, and he just was walking back over to the vehicle. Now he crossed the street when cars wasn't going obviously you know in his direction where you know so he he was able to cross the street. And then I turned to look, and then the boys rode up on their bicycles up to the pump. So where what which side where did the um the man walk to? Which street was he also on Rose or was he on Beds? He was on the other side of Beggs, directly across the street from the store. Okay, by the wooded area. His car was, his car, yeah, it was, it was wooded area back then. Uh-huh. It, and his car was parked, uh, like, off the side of the road. And I thought, well, that's kind of a weird spot to park, and he's looking at the pump. Huh. You know? So I thought to myself, after all that started going, I thought, well, that, you know, maybe they kind of had something to do with it. So... I tried to get on, uh, I tried to call the, the police, I tried to call the FBI, uh, I tried, uh, I talked to Leslie Draper on uh, Channel 2 News, she come out there, and I was interviewed on TV on Channel 2 News by Leslie Draper over the whole incident. Then finally, 
They have like a timeline of different people. Do you remember the vehicle that the guy was driving that uh, that was parked on that opposite wooded side of the road? What do you remember that vehicle? Anything about it at all? Yeah, well, that's that was the thing. Uh, you know, that's why I noticed it was kind of because this was this was kind of like a and I want to say a baby blue uh, Ford Falcon, like a '69, '67. Uh, could have been a Comet. Uh, but, you know, it looked like, uh, you know, an older vehicles, you know, I mean, it wasn't, and it was pretty, you know, I was kind of noticed it, and it was parked over there on the wooded area side, I thought, well, maybe the old man's got a flat tire, but he pulled over, I don't know, maybe he just pulled over to see if the pump was, I don't know what he was doing. Yeah, that doesn't make and sense, was, you're right, because if he's parked no, over there, so yeah. I, I was like, okay, but we, as we passed, we drove past him on the right-hand side, and, and her at the store, I guess he must have drove off or something, or he was right there uh, nearby the blast himself. Okay. Because what they told me is that he didn't have nothing to do with it. He told them everything I told them or something. They said that they did talk to that guy, or they had other people that said that car was there, but they didn't, he, they didn't think he had something to do with it because they felt that it was done yeah, but this is 1 o'clock in the afternoon, so they, they think it probably was done overnight, early in the morning when there was nobody around. And Well, I've got the, um, I've got all the, you know, other witness statements, and, and there was a son and a, um, a father and son who actually saw the bomb, because they went to fill up their tires. They saw the package sitting there, and it, um, and so that was around 2 o'clock, they saw the package sitting there. Um, and then, and then it was like around 2.30 when it, when it, exploded um what time do you believe you were at that um intersection around one o'clock you know so that was earlier yeah and that's when you know the explosion happened behind me so it could have been 1 30 you know um i know it was afternoon that we were going by there because we didn't even we probably left the house. If we left the house at 1 o'clock, I mean, I'm only a mile down the road, so it couldn't have been maybe one fifteen. You assumed that the two boys were together, the little African-American boy and then the yeah, little yeah, the they, white boy. They, they were down there with each other, and I guess uh, the little white boy had to have his tire, needed some air for his tire, or maybe he noticed something different about the air pump. I don't know. Yeah. So... Uh, and, and I can't, I don't know if the other little boy made it into the store, but I know when the blast hit, it blew out the store windows and everything. There, it used to be called shopping. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got the crime scene pictures. I posted a lot of them in there um, so people can take a look at it. I mean, I was surprised because they found, for example, they found a piece of pipe over at the Baptist Church in the, in that area. They, there was a piece of, um, um, possibly a piece of an item that was, might have even gone over that church behind it to one of the houses over on one of those streets it went far i'm surprised that boy didn't die because it was so big i mean the the people inside the store described it as six to eight feet high that big 
uh, you know, fireball and then, and then smoke all over it. And then of course he was on fire and some kids from down the street came and put him out. But it shocked me at how, how far the, the pieces went. And then, you know how there was an ice machine on the opposite corner of the store. There was a, like a, a, a dent or a hole in that too. So chunks of the, of the cement from the base of the air machine were flew, you know, as well as this, this piece. Oh, yeah, it was, it was bad. And the thing about it was, is it, uh, I can't see somebody installing that real quick, like in front of people, without somebody seeing something. But when I saw him putting up that hose, or maybe he just kind of grabbed the hose, or started to grab the hose, and it was already coiled up nicely, but it kind of looked like he would just finish coiling it. I said, "Who does that?" Yeah, and just leaves it on the ground. Yeah, so that kind of caught my eye. Then he walked across the street back to his uh, his little baby blue falcon. It was, you know, an old Tommy car. Uh, and, and as we went through the light, you know, we passed him, uh, you know, and then, uh, you know, we was almost, you know, halfway to the, the little overpass. Right. I know what you're talking about. Because I live down Beggs, yeah, we, off We Armstrong. just cleared almost, maybe, like I said, two seconds. And then that's when the blast hit. And it was loud enough to where I, and we, it was cold that day, so our windows was up that we heard, and, and then I swore, and that's why I, I asked Tammy, I says, I says, that a, did we get a flat tire? And we look out the window, she stuck her head out, kind of, I look out the window, I never stopped to pull over. We, the fan was still driving fine. So I'm like, that, you know, I don't know, maybe it was just, you know, a gunshot by the time we got done. I don't know. It's just like, when we just kept going, I didn't actually look behind me. Right, right. You so know, you I, were far I, enough... I you were far enough away that it was a little muffled. Um, so you were, you know, what are you thinking? You were about a mile away or less than a mile away? No, no, not even a mile. That's not even a mile from there to the overpass from the store to the overpass. That's you know, true. You know, maybe a football fit, just up, not even up to, uh, yeah, that overpass that was right there. Yeah, that wasn't very far. You're right. Huh. Yeah, it's, it's like right there in, uh, what is that, Jerkinson's on the right-hand side? Yeah, yep. When you were passing, or did you, well, let me first ask you, did you go back to there that day afterwards, after, when you were pa- coming back through, did you stop? Yes, oh, no, we didn't stop, they kind of waved us through, but we didn't know what happened, mm-hmm. and, you know, we had a, we had my daughter with us, you know, and she was a newborn, so we wasn't looking to hang out or nothing, yeah. I mean, we just kind of went back through, so what the heck happened here? And then we realized that, um, you know, so we didn't, I mean, at the time, I didn't know the details of it till we saw it on the news and we t- t- pointed out our parents and said look there that was, we just went through there you know and then yeah. they said well did you see so I said well yeah so, so, so I was pretty much eager to give whatever information I could to catch that I don't think it was somebody from around it was just I don't know why somebody would do something like that but that was pretty bad and uh, the type of uh, bomb or whatever the pipe bomb and the may come on I don't know if they really told us exactly how it was built because they didn't, only the guy that built it would know how to build it, I guess. But yeah. they, you know, but they swore they'd never have an air pump machine at that store ever again because of that. Well, now they got one now there. I mean, I know it's a different store, but they got one there. Larry's account has a few interesting elements. First, he was moving through a four-way stop when he saw what he saw. A couple kids in the parking lot, at least one of them headed to the pump, and what he thought was a man coiling the air pump hose and replacing it and then walking across the street to what he assumed was his vehicle. 
a powder blue Ford Falcon or Comet, 1967 or 69, in good condition. And he said that he heard the explosion as he was moving down the road. So that would have to mean, if accurate, that he was at the store closer to 2.30 rather than 1.45. We know what time the bomb went off, based on the emergency call and police arriving on the scene. What stands out to me is that if the man had placed the bomb right before he walked back across the street, I can't see him coiling the hose. That fishing line was attached to the hose, so any movement of it after the bomb had been placed would detonate the device. And we know that because that's what occurred with Paul. Larry says that the police had ruled this man out, but that doesn't explain how he heard the blast a few moments later as he drove by. It also doesn't explain why a man who was presumably getting air in his tire was parked across the street. I don't know what triggered the bomb to go off because I saw him, you know, wrapping the last lap of that hose on that on that machine. So I'm not sure what triggered it. Well, here's the thing that, that concerns me about that. You said you saw him wrapping the hose. So the I have the, they, they sent the pieces that they had, a lot of them, and they did have a good amount, even though the, the helicopter scattered it all to hell, but they did have a bunch of pieces and they figured out what, uh, because there was a, a witness and his son who saw the, what happened was they came up, saw the, the, the package, because it was a box inside a package and there was fishing line going from the box to to somewhere on the top of where the, hose where the hose went in you know and then it was tied about halfway down so when someone went to grab the hose it would have um triggered it so if you saw him wrap you know wrapping it it seems like that would not have been uh, that would have been something he had to do before he put the fishing line on because that paul grabbing the hose is what triggered it supposedly and what they found inside the bomb was not just your average pipe bomb but and it, I don't think it was that sophisticated just pipe and end caps and there's some I think there was powder in it but it had a whole bunch of nails so it had nails and it was there was a I think a turpentine um a container was probably used either in that bag or used as the device, you know, something because there was all shredded turpentine metal uh, uh, from this Turpex bottle all over the place. Now, maybe that was used part as an accelerant or as part of um, something. I don't know how it was actually put together, but they said that the person that put that bomb together definitely was trying to harm people because of all the nails and the metal that were put inside it that were sent flying and they were all oh, bent yeah, and everything. Yeah, so that's a mean one right there. Yeah, just, that's a hateful. That's a hateful person. I don't. They've never caught the guy. No. Mm-hmm. And then the police told me that they they talked to that fellow that was in that car. That old man was going. You know, that was their cousin. He walked over to his car across the street. They said they talked to him. And so it was a Ford. You said it was a baby blue Ford Falcon. I've got a bunch of different cars listed in there. And that wasn't the car that they were looking for either. So I'm wondering if that guy that you saw was not the bomber, but someone that used the thing before you. But I'm confused as to why, if he used it, why his car was across the road. It, it is kind of confusing. Tell You know probably know more about cars than me. Are Falcons, these baby, what you're talking about, is it a two-door or a um, um, four-door? I believe if, uh, you know, I'm going to say it was a two-door I just know what stuck out to me was the fact that it wasn't no, it was an older model car and it was kept in pretty good condition. Okay, all right, yeah, that would stand uh, out. And, and that's what it, you know, like nowadays you go to the steak and shake and you see these old cars. Yep. Well, mm-hmm. that was one of them. You okay. know, 
That would but stand out in Lockhart. It was still old because it was a 67. Right. And that's going to stand out in Lockhart because not a lot of people are going to have nice, you know what I mean, a, yeah. a car like that. Do you remember any other people that were at, like when you were driving by, did you recognize any anyone else at the store? Was there anyone that you knew from town that was in the parking lot? Uh, you know what, that I, that was that would be kind of a blur on that myself. Yeah. Basically, I have, have my mind on the road. Right, right. You know, I got my, my you know, my wife Tammy, well, I said my my girl at the time, to, and my daughter, newborn, and it, it was crazy. My daughter was just born on the 14th, so here on the 25th, a bomb about takes us out, you know? Yeah, that's scary. That's true. It is true. You know, I, that's how close we could have been. And I I actually turned to the left, looked out my driver's side window, and saw the boys right there wheeling the bicycles up to the pump and the one little boy going up into the store. And then... As I went through, it was like, like I said, one, and then the, the man in the car, he was still, I, I, I'm pretty sure he was waiting for me to go through so he could pull away. Okay, all you know, right, that makes sense. behind me and drive away too. But, I, I, or he may have pulled in the store, or he may, be, he may have left ahead of me. I can't re- rightly recall, because I was looking to the left. I, he might have drove off ahead of me. Okay. And while I was waiting my turn in the, in the but, uh, but it, like I said, I didn't remember looking behind me. All I did was look at my tires yeah. when I heard these blasts. But one Mississippi, two Mississippi, and you'd almost see Jurgensen's on the right-hand side, and that's when that blast happened. Yeah. So over the years, did you, I mean, I'm, people always talked about it. Was there any, were there any conversations like in town um, about what people, who people thought was targeted or what well, the reason was or anything at all? Do you remember any like scuttlebutt on the street about who people thought might have done it? Well, you know, here's the thing. Uh, there was a lot of rumors. Mm-hmm. You know, there was a couple guys that got out of the, the army that were in, ex, you know, demolitions or something like that. There was bad rumors spread about people, I think. And then there was, uh, it, it wasn't, so I don't believe it was somebody from around Lockhart because everybody at Lockhart are really usually pretty good people. I mean, they, um, and, and, you know, back in them days, everybody pretty much knowed everybody. Yeah. Uh, so there was, uh, you know, oh, it was just a, just a, you know, kid's prank, or it was, uh, you know, and this is way before, you know, everybody had the interweb, you know, and, and, and talking on computers and learning stuff that you, right. you just didn't find in a library somewhere, too. So it, it had to have somebody that had some type of training of doing something. Maybe it was a, a terrorist or something that we don't know about. Um, it was on Christmas Day, so, mm-hmm. you know, you get what you got now. People, you know, are scared of the Muslims or the terrorists. They're all going to try and get us. What better day to get it than the day we celebrate? You know what I mean? It's, it yeah. goes on on the, the, the rumors and the stories. So I, I didn't really pick up too much of anything. And uh, there was never really anybody talking about it like as if hey i knew this guy he was saying so it was never none of that it was people talking hey did you hear about that and i'd always tell my story wow he was right there near that blast you know for the most part that was that was a terrifying story in itself and then when i got on tv i was you know leslie draper interviewed and put me on tv well that's when the the police finally uh, found an interest in me and and like i said it, it was it was interesting when they had to take me into interview me and, and I told him everything and from what I understood what they told me is that guy in that blue car that that Falcon, whatever they interviewed him already 
and he had nothing to do with it. Apparently, now this is what, I could be wrong, but this is what they told me at the time that they were interviewing me, and that's, that I accounted for him just like everything else. And he saw the hose up there nice and neat, and maybe was yeah. uh, put the last lap on. I don't know. He saw it looked like it might have been out of order or something, but he was accounted for from what the police told me. Well, and that may make sense because, like I told you, if he's slinging that hose around to circle it and put it on there, it doesn't sound to me like the bomb was attached to it at that time because the bomb, the fishing line, would have been attached halfway down that hose so that when Paul grabbed it to, to, to fill up his things, that's what triggered it. So it could have been that the, the bomber was the guy that went to it right after that guy. You know what I mean? And that's why it's important, all these stories, because everyone fits in the timeline where they fit. But it would have had to have been someone that slid in there right behind you. You know what I mean? Right behind you. And and all this can be pretty tight because you know how convenience store go, uh, things are. People are coming in, doing their business, and leaving. It's minutes. You know, it's very quick. You know, yeah, you're going sure. to fill up your tires, and then you're leaving, you know. But so, you got to realize, too, this was Christmas Day. And yeah. People were just starting to come out of the house. So it really wasn't a bunch of people. So any movement or any acts, people probably would have been able to, you know, would have noticed it a little bit more. Maybe, maybe not. But here's my theory on there. Maybe, you know, I, I didn't actually see this guy wrap all the hose up on this thing. Okay. I see him have, like, uh, look like he was just kind of like that top lap. Maybe he went to grab the hose. No, that could have been it, too. saw the box or the string or whatever, and maybe he didn't, it, it didn't take no weight off of whatever. You, you follow what I'm saying? Yep. No, I agree. It could be. That's why it's, I wanted to try. I have a little bit of a list of people that were there that day, and I want to talk to everyone because while we have a, a, a vague timeline of, you know, this person was here, then probably the, then the next person that came was this one and this one, I wanted to... Yes. Um, you know, try to piece it all together like that and see. Um, and I'm going to look that car up too and see because remember, a lot of what I got is handwritten notes. So um, it's like reading doctor's prescriptions. It's a real pain, you know, and there's some reports. So I'm going through them all and I want to look up that car. And this is a long time ago. I mean, yep. this is like as cold case as you can get, you know, but yeah. that poor boy still has to limp around and do what he's had to do and struggle. And, and like I said, I don't know. I just, I just don't understand it. And, uh, the timeline of me actually just going through there, not to just, you know, for myself, but I mean, I did have my family with me, mm -hmm. and uh, it's unbelievable how close that all could have been even a worse disaster, you know, because maybe there, I don't think there was very many cars that day on that road, so maybe there wasn't nobody behind me, but that one older fellow, I don't know if he'd still be alive, that happened to me when I was 19, and I'm 50, I'll be 55, so, you know, that's been a few years ago, that might, that may not, might not even be around. And, you know, you have to think that as far as those pieces were scattered, at the moment that, that Paul pulled that off the thing and went to do his tires, there couldn't have been any other people in that parking lot because they would have gotten hit, too. You know what I mean? It couldn't that's have been correct. a full parking lot. I don't remember really seeing anybody, them kids come rolling up here. It was Christmas Day. I mean, nobody was on the roads. It was, you know, you know, hit or miss, you know. Yep. Oh, I know what I wanted to ask you. The guy in the car, do you remember what he looked like? Did he have long or short hair? The, the guy you saw? Do you remember a description at all? If I had to give you a, a description, I would say, in my mind's eye, it seems to me like uh, this fellow... A bit like Mr. White, you know, 
maybe a suit coat on. You know, uh, really, I just, it was a darker color, and I know he had like his little hat on. He could have been no more, maybe five, three, maybe five, six at the most. And well put together then. He wasn't like grubby looking. He kind was... of skinny, kind of skinny. Okay. You know, but like I said, I, 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 I'd look at the car, you know. Right. <laughs> and I the think, kids, I, yeah. I'd look over, it was just all split second moments. Yeah. And when I, I seen him go across the street, I had about that much of a visual, but I was probably behind one car at the intersection. I was still behind one car catching, you know. Yeah, and you. I was sitting in a van, so I was actually sitting higher than the car in front of me. But as that car went on about its business, I come up to the stop sign. And when and you, that's when I, yeah. when you pulled, out, when you made that, uh, you, and you did a turn, right? When you pulled up to that stop sign. No, I, you I went straight, straight to the okay. stop sign so, in between the store and him. And him, when okay. He got over in his car. So, I mean, you have a vision, you know that you heard something, and you know how far down the road, so it couldn't have been, I mean, yes. that puts you at a certain time, that puts you in the timeline, because we know what time the, you know, the bomb happened, it was like right, the thing is, the bomb occurred right around 2.30, that's the thing, is the bomb occurred um, between 2 and 2.30, because that's when the ambulance, I think the two ambulance, or the cops got there at 2.34, they were very quickly dispatched, so it did not happen Two thirty. So the thing is, if you heard it, if you physically heard it when you were on the way, you know, driving, still driving, then you're that's what your timeline is. It lines well, with that. Now, look, I'm gonna tell you, it, it has been a few years. Mm -hmm. uh, maybe I can't exactly tell you the time, but I know. Yeah, I, like I said, I, I can't remember if we left the house at a certain time, we were supposed to be at a certain time, maybe I'm getting confused, but I know that for a fact that I was by that blast. So they said that the blast happened exactly at 2.30. I was at that at that site at 2.29 and 58 seconds. Right, that's what I'm saying, that, that you've got a, a, sound, um, a sound anchor, so you know that you were near that site then. Do you think that, uh, is there, you were you went directly through there, you didn't stop anywhere after that either, right? You went directly to where you were headed. Directly to our little Christmas party. We okay. were there until about, you know, maybe about 4.30 and we come back through. Okay, so uh, that helps me because then I know, just based on what you heard, um, who was where, you know, you and that other guy were there at that time, and then the two boys. So that helps a lot, because then it's like putting a puzzle together. Every time you talk to each person, you you can put their yeah. puzzle pieces together as far as where they were. It was earlier, maybe, you know what I mean? Like I said, I still think there might be some fudging in on that time issue, but um, maybe I was supposed, maybe we were supposed to be over there at 1 o'clock, and we, we were running late, I don't know, or whatever. Yeah, that part doesn't matter to me so much as knowing you knowing the exact time is that the fact that as you were driving away, you heard the blast. So that means you had to have been there, um, but you know, right. near, uh, nearer to Keith. Right. Was, the, uh, I never heard anything about the other child, if, if he ever, if he got hurt or who else got hurt. I imagine it was a, a clerk in there and there might have been one other person right there. But for the most part, it was, you know, there weren't too many people at that little store. Uh, and, you yeah. know, it just never... That is never curious to me because, I'll tell you, that's curious to me because um, there was, there was um, 
the clerk and one other person in the store, I haven't heard about the other little boy either. So I'm going to hopefully be able to get some information about that um, because I have not heard anything about a little African-American boy. There's nothing in the report. So that might be someone else that I might be able to track down and hopefully find out, you know, because he, he maybe he was coming with. I mean, if you thought that they looked like they were together, they may have ridden down there together. So if I could find it, you know, out who he may have been riding with, that might be, that might help too. Now that, I would almost, you know, uh, bet the farm on it, because it seemed to me like they both rode up there at the same time, and uh, I want to say one of the boys didn't need air in the tire or whatever, mm-hmm. and he laid his bike down and went up walked up to the store, so I want to say he laid his bike down there by where uh, Paul was getting ready to try and fill up his tire, and the kid was walking up to the store. Okay, so that would make that so would make that's sense. I don't even know if he made it in the store. He might not have. And you know, he might have gotten scared and taken off. Who knows? The explosion was heard by people blocks away, so Larry could have gotten further down the road before he heard it than he remembers, given that he and his girlfriend thought that maybe a tire had blown, and if they were closer, it might have sounded quite a bit louder. But he and his girlfriend actually hearing that blast does put him in the area and tends to lock down his timeline. Now, certainly one of the kids that he saw could have been Paul. Maybe he dropped his bike near the air pump and then he ran into the store to turn in a couple bottles for the coin that he would need to operate the pump. Could the man that Larry saw have then attached the device between the time that Paul went in and then came out? It's possible. Based on the report of Diane Turner, she didn't see anything at the pump between 2.15 and 2.30. So it would have been right after she saw it that the bomb was placed pretty quickly before Paul got over to the pump. We can certainly factor in the possibility that Paul had loitered around inside the store for a little bit, because Kay mentioned that the kids would do that. But we also have her testimony saying that she got off work somewhere around one or two, and she had seen Paul about an hour before. Now, was that an hour before the blast or an hour before she got off work? That's something I couldn't quite suss out all these years later. She believes that Paul got a soda in exchange for his bottle returns when she checked him out and maybe he could have come back a second time that day. The timeline here is very confusing, particularly when you add in Mr. Langer and his son, who believed that they had seen the bomb already at the pump at 2 o'clock because they drove by 45 minutes later right after the explosion. You can't so much look at the exact times that these people gave because I doubt anyone was specifically looking at their watches. They just know about what time it was and where they were headed, and nobody would think to pay that much attention. It was Christmas Day, and they certainly didn't know what was going to occur minutes after their interactions at the shop and go that day. But you can look at what they saw and what they heard. Larry says that he heard an explosion as he and his girlfriend drove away. I have no reason to doubt that, and if it's accurate, that anchors his memory to a specific time frame, maybe seconds or even minutes before the bomb exploded. The first officer arrived at 2.34 and there were people already there so they had to have gotten the call just minutes before the first responding officer got it at 2.33, according to his report. Because there was a fire department just down the street, I'm guessing that's who was there, because their response time would have been very fast. We're probably talking only about a 10 or 15 minute time frame that the perpetrator had to plant the bomb. Because after Diane was there and she didn't see it between 2.15 and 2.30, obviously Mr. Leninger and his son slid through there and it was there. The time frame seems so close that I feel like the perpetrator had to have been watching from somewhere nearby, so he could quickly approach the pump 
and attached the device in between customers when nobody was close enough to be paying attention. And it is also relevant that those gas pumps were pretty close to where the air pump was, and it wasn't far at all. The one other thing that I want you to factor in, Diane Turner participated in giving details that were made into a sketch of a vehicle, a white two-door that was not in good condition. It had rust around the bottom of the door and wheel wells, and it had no hubcaps, at least on the side depicted in the sketch. And the back end was lower, meaning that the space between the wheel well and tire was tighter on the back than in the front. Something to do with the shocks, I presume. I think we can safely assume that this is not the car that Larry saw parked across the street, because he described it as a nice vehicle, and that's another reason that it caught his eye. The rough sketch with details on the white car says, if I'm reading it correctly, that it was a Nova. That sketch is dated February 27, 1985. But a Nova was not the vehicle that police were looking for eight months later, when in October of 1985, the investigator on the case sent around an interoffice memo that stated, in part, We are currently attempting to identify a vehicle and a person witnessed at the air pump prior to the explosion. We believe this vehicle to be a 1975 Pontiac Le Mans, white, gray, or light blue, in color. They pulled up a list of over 700,000 vehicles registered in Orange County that fit that description, and then narrowed it down to 56 possible vehicles. So are you starting to see why police may have had problems with this case? None of the puzzle pieces seem to fit. Hell, they couldn't even get all the witnesses to agree on a suspect sketch. And what that tells me is, we're missing something. There's something missing. In the next episode, I'm going to delve into theories and motives. Stay tuned.